بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد کریم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا نائن مارچ ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری اینڈ ان شاء اللہ اسپینڈ With regards to the two rakat sunnah before the fajr, there are many well-known reports. For instance, our beloved messenger wasalam, said in the sahih that these two rakat of sunnah before the fajr obligatory prayer are more beloved to me than anything on which the sun shines. In another report, In the Sunans, Sahih, the Prophet said, Do not miss these two rakats, even if you are being trampled by horses. And also, the Prophet as is well known, he would not offer any optional prayers on a journey. Yet, he still always offered the two rakat sunnah of the Fajr on a journey, and also the Witr. Not only this, there's a special vehicle to be said after the sunnah of fajr allahumma rabba jibra'ila wa mika'ila wa israfila wa muhammad bi muhammadin nabiyyin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ma huwa ahla allahumma ajibni min al-nar so there's a dua where the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would say after the sunnah of fajr o allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lord of jibra'il mika'il and israfil i seek refuge in you from the fire And just like there's a special zikr after the witr, which is also a special prayer, Subhanal Malikil Quddus Rabbil Malaikati Wa Ruh. So know the similarity. When there's an extra special prayer, there was a special zikr the Prophet would do after the prayer as well. And also, the Prophet ﷺ, he said in Sayyid Bukhari and Muslim, that when the azan is, when the iqamat is called, there is no prayer except the obligatory prayer. So here, two of the Imams, Imam Shafi and Imam Ahmad, they take it literally. That as soon as the Iqamat is announced, you cannot offer any prayer except the Fard. However, Imam Abu Hanifa and Imam Malik, they interpret this Hadith to mean in the prayer hall. So when the Prophet said there is no optional prayer, when the Iqamat is announced, except the obligatory prayer, they understood it to mean the prayer hall. So, the Fajr Sunnah, the Hanafi state, even if the obligatory Fajr prayer is taking place, you should offer those two rakats if you've got time because of the stressed nature of the two rakat Sunnah, but outside of the prayer hall. And if there is no place outside of the prayer hall, they said in the corner of the Masjid. The Maliki state very similar. So why would two of the Imams ask you to offer the Sunnah prayer of Fajr when the Fadr is taking place? It shows the stressful nature of this prayer. The following is a most informative report which further sheds light on the priceless nature of this prayer. In Tabrani in his Kabir, number 13,502, Tabrani in his Ausat, number 2,959, Al-Khatib 1-240, Ibn Asakir in his Tariq Dimishq 67-337 Al-Hadith in his Musnad number 212 Hafiz Zahbi in his Seer 14-349 Al-Haythami in Majma'a Az-Zawai 
Imam Sayyuti in his Jami as Sagheer, number 2794, Faid al Qadir 378 Hassan, Abdullah ibn Umar, Abu Huraira and Anas, they all related that our beloved Messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, do not leave the two records that come before Salat al Fajr, Fihima al Ragha'ib, for within them are your dearest wishes. Do not leave the two rakats that come before Salat al-Fajr. Fihima al-Ragha'ib. For within them are your dearest wishes. So this is another virtue of this prayer. The two rakats sunnah, stress sunnah before the Fajr. The Prophet was hinting that it is a way in which to get your needs fulfilled. Your dearest wishes are within these two rakats of sunnah. So note... When the Prophet said, these two rakats are more beloved to me than anything on which the sun shines, he's giving you the answer. But do we treat it with that affection? <laughs> right? So note, people say, oh, the Fadr is the important prayer. And this shows that the sunnah is also priceless. And this sunnah should never be missed, even on a journey. And again, what greater way, Allahu Akbar, to start one's day than with such a priceless and most needed prayer. What's interesting, the Prophet offered a short two rakat sunnah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, uh, Aisha once said, our mother radiyallahu I don't, I thought to myself, he only, did he only need Fatiha? So this is how short the two rakat sunnah prayers were. And the Prophet famously said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that, sorry, the Sahaba famously said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in the first rakat of the sunnah of Fajr, he would recite surah Qafirun after Fatiha. And in the second rakat, Surah Ikhlas. So it was short. So this is again another sunnah of the Prophet With regards to the masjids of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the venerable grandson of our beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Sayyidina Hassan ibn Ali, he said, whoever frequents the masjids regularly, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant him one of five priceless blessings. Firstly, a brother from whom he may benefit. Second, a mercy that is hidden from him. Thirdly, knowledge that is useful. Fourthly, a word that may show guidance. Or fifthly, giving up a sin because of shyness. This is recorded by Hafiz ibn Qutaybah in his Uyun al-Akhbar 3-5. So let's look at this. So Imam Hassan, the last of the Khilaf al-Rashidin, of the Sahaba, radiyallahu ta'ala anhum, he said that if you regularly go to the masjid, meaning that you regularly offer your obligatory prayers there, he goes, you will be given one of these five blessings. This is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first is a brother from whom he may benefit. And isn't that true? You go to the masjid to offer your obligatory prayer and how often do you get some blessing from another brother? Maybe he shares something with you or maybe he tells you something what you need to know in your worldly affairs. And this is a gift Allah Ta'ala gives. Secondly, a mercy that is hidden from him. So Allah Ta'ala gives you something that even the creation is unaware of. He gives you a hidden blessing. Thirdly, knowledge that is useful. The houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be places of learning. Because knowledge which is useful. Fourthly, a word that may show guidance. 
Or fifthly, giving up a sin because of shyness. So the fifth one is fascinating. What does that mean? Giving up a sin because of shyness. It means Allah will help you to wean yourself of sins. If you regularly come to the masjid, He will help you. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So note, are any of those five things linked to Salat? People think it's all about Salat, masjids and Salat. And the response is, yes, the obligatory prayer should be offered in the masjid, but they are portals or gateways to the divine mercy. And this is why we famously say when you enter the masjid, Allah open the doors of your mercy to me. <coughs> it would not come as a surprise to learn that Abu Huraira had once said to a person, you're going early to the masjid is more beloved to me than our going out with jihad with Rasulullah. Your going early to the masjid is more beloved to me than our going out for jihad with Rasulullah. This is in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, Hafiz ibn Rajab, it is Lata'if al-Ma'arif, page 515 of the English translation. So think about this. How valuable was the jihad side by side with Rasulullah. So we don't need to be scholars. You know, you'd say it's priceless. In fact, the Prophet said that whoever goes out in jihad for a very short period of time, paradise is incumbent upon him. That's a normal jihad. They want about jihad with Rasulullah. And yet, Abu Huraira who did jihad with Rasulullah, he said to the Tabi'in, you're going early to the masjid. That's the condition. Your going early to the masjid is more beloved to me than jihad with Rasulullah. Now, did he mention the virtues? No, he just mentioned something amazing about it. So why should you go early to the masjid? You don't need to know. That is more beloved to Abu Huraira than doing jihad with Rasulullah. So imagine you go five times a day early to the masjid. You've got the reward greater than five times jihad with Rasulullah, according to Abu Huraira. Why have you got that reward? Because Allah Ta'ala loves it when you come early to the masjid. Now, why should this be a competition? Because Sayyidina Maytham Allah, he said, it has reached me that an angel, alayhi salatu wasalam, goes out holding his flag with the first person to go to the masjid and stays holding his flag with him until he returns and enters his home with it. I, he then said the same for the markets, but this time a shaitan holds the flag. Astaghfirullah. This is recorded in Ibn Abi Asim Abu Na'im al Tarheeb. Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullah states Sahih. It is Sahih al Tarheeb 1-101. So let's look at this. So a companion called Sayyidina Maytham it has reached me. So there's only two ways the Sahaba could get this knowledge. One is from another Sahaba or one from Rasulullah. Either way, it's authentic. Because it has reached me. An angel, he comes with a flag. What is his duty? He goes to the first person who goes to the masjid. The first person, the earliest one who comes to the masjid, he's with him. He's deputized to be with him. He goes with him and he stays with him. So imagine you've entered the masjid. He comes with you in the masjid. When you leave the masjid, he comes out with you. 
When you enter your home, he enters your home. So what is this angel doing? He's come with a flag, okay. He's with me in the masjid. He's with me when I'm going home. He's with me when I enter the home. Why have I been given this extraordinary honor? Because you were the first in the masjid. Go back to Abu Huraira said. He goes, this is more beloved to me than jihad with Rasulullah. But then he said the same for the market. Astaghfirullah. If you're the first to go to the market, a shaitan comes with a flag. And you're with him. He's with you in the market. He returns with you. And he goes into your house with you. Now what's shocking? When you go to the market, people realize that the early bird catches the worm. So they're, they're the first there. But this isn't a good thing. This is why if you look at the companions, they would never be the first in the market. They would actually make sure they would be not the first. And yet the strange thing is when it comes to dunya, for example, if you go to the market, the first one to put his stall up is the one who you think would get them more custom. Worldly sense, yes. But why are you the first to go to the market? There's a shaitan with you now. Imagine, right? So even if you're making money, what's a shaitan going to be doing? Prompting you. Subhanallah, the masjids are no other than the divine gates of mercy, right? So if you go early, Allah will honor you. The inanimate objects look for the masjids is also immense. Abu Huraira radiallahu relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa in Abu Dawood number 459, The remaining pebbles in the masjid take the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they beseech the person who wants to throw them out of the masjid to leave them in the masjid. Subhanallah. So let's look at this. So this is recorded by Imam Abu Dawood in his sunnah. So there's pebbles in the masjid. What does that mean? There was no carpet in the time of the Prophet Also now in certain masjids there's no carpet. The pebbles in the masjid, they love the masjid. And if you take them out, they beg you not to throw them out. The Prophet They're begging you. And they take the name of Allah. Because what are you doing? Mawlana Ashraf Ali Thanwi, he commented in his work, A Sufi Suri of Hadith, page 218 of the English translation, the perception and speech of inanimate objects <coughs> which are exposed to the people of Kashf unveiling is obviously supported by this Hadith. The pebble has such perception that it knows it is being taken outside. It also has the power of speech whereby it resorts to the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as an intermediary. Look how amazing. You go to any atheist, rationalist, you say a pebble, and they will say, yeah, it's, it's a pebble. What do you know about it? Would you, you ask them, is the pebble alive? They will say, what are you talking about? It's a pebble. Why would you say a pebble is alive? Then you ask them, has the pebble got intellect? They will say to you, what are you talking about? How's a pebble got intellect? Then, they are, then you ask, can the pebble talk? All of that is proved from this hadith of the Prophet But what is the real lesson? That's just, you know, by the by. The real lesson is, subhanallah, look at the love of mere lowly pebbles for the masjids. 
with that of many of the children of Adam والسلام, who simply cannot wait to get out of the masjid. This is why Imam Malik famously said, Rahmatullahi, the hypocrite in the masjid is like a is like a caged bird. But if you open the latch, the bird flies. So a very interesting analogy Imam Malik has given. Because why? A bird is chirping in the cage. But is it happy? If you open the latch, it bounces. It doesn't want to be in the cage. That is the example of the hypocrite in the mud. He's not comfortable. As soon as he comes in, he wants to be out. Yeah, last one in, first one out, as they say, Astaghfirullah. But the more you are in tune, the more you spend time in the masjid. And this is why one of the great companions, what does it say? Abu Sufyan ibn al-Harith, he was Rasulullah's cousin, Harith was the Prophet's father's brother, his paternal uncle. So Abu Sufyan was his cousin, his first cousin. Not to be confused with Abu Sufyan ibn Harb, so Abu Sufyan ibn al-Harith, he embraced Islam late. In fact, he was an enemy of Islam. He fought on the wrong side in the battle of Badr. He was using his eloquence to speak ill of Rasulullah, even though he was his cousin. The Prophet was greatly grieved over his cousin. But eventually he embraced Islam. The Prophet forgave him, Then a remarkable transformation occurred with Abu Sufyan ibn al-Harith, radiyallahu the Prophet was once looking from his dwelling into the masjid and he was looking at his cousin, Abu Sufyan ibn al-Hadith radiyallahu and he was looking at him quite intently. So Aisha approached the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, look, look at my cousin. He goes, he is the first in the masjid and he is the last to leave. So now think about that. Rasulullah was looking at him. Why? He impressed him. What was impressing him? His clothes, his, his beauty. He was my cousin. You know, he's got royal blood. Nothing of that. He was impressed because he goes, look, he's the first and he's the last to leave. What transformation occurred? He knew how to get the mercy now of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because I have to make home for lost time. And what was one of the ways he was doing that? He was connecting himself to the masjid. And Rasulullah was greatly pleased with him. Radiyallahu and also, even more amazing, I think, he said on his deathbed, ever since I've embraced Islam, I have not committed a single sin. So how can a non-prophet not sin? He proved it's possible. He goes, ever since I embraced Islam, how long did he live after Islam? He lived for about five years. He passed away in Abu Bakr's Khalif. He came back from the Hajj and a mole was accidentally cut. They were shaving his hair and that is what led to his death. And on his deathbed he said that ever since I embraced Islam I have never committed a sin. So what amazing transformation occurred but what did he use to cause even his our beloved messenger to be impressed with him? He would be the first in the masjid. So let me ask you a question. He was the first in masjid the Nabi. Who else were there? wasn't like any other masjid to be the first there. You know, I don't know, what you, how are you going to be the first? You're going to come up at night. Mm -hmm. And the last to leave, it's like, how is that possible? But he did it. Mm -hmm. Abu Sufyan ibn al-Harith, radiyallahu And maybe, to conclude, the Prophet sallallahu was looking at the angel. Because what did he, what did the sahaba say? There's an angel with the first person in the masjid. So Rasulullah was looking. 
They say, look, subhanAllah, you know, obviously he told you, but isn't the reality manifest to the Prophet And this is why the masjids are the magnets of divine mercy. The Prophet he said that one of the seven who will be shaded under the shade of the Arish on the Day of Judgment will be those who love the masjids. When they go to the masjid, when they leave the year to return. This is one of the people who Allah honors above others. In a hadith, Asim Bukhari and Muslim, in Tabarani, the Prophet said, Allah will honor the one who looks at the masjid with love. Allah will honor the one who looks at the masjid with love and honor. Allah honors the one who merely looks at it. That's from the outside. So what do you think he will do to the ones who enter the masjid? And this is why the masjids are very dear. And notice deeds multiply in the masjid. Salat 25, 27, multiple. <coughs> Circle of knowledge becomes you get the reward of an accepted hajj, and an accepted umrah and jihad. You don't get that anywhere else. <laughs> Why are deeds getting multiplied? Because you're in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we should be frequenting the masjids of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all I mentioned today was basically the glorious two rakats stress sunnah before the fajr, which we do every day inshallah. And hopefully highlighting why it's so beloved to uh, the Almighty and Glorious. And then I mentioned uh, a few things with regards to the masjids and how dear they are to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah <laughs> <laughs>